This is the Unorthodoxy Podcast, and you're listening to part 8 in my series on the Enneagram of Personality. In this series, and specifically in the previous 7 parts, which I hope you've listened to by now, I've offered an outline of all 9 Enneatypes, and by now I'm quite sure that you will be sitting there thinking, that this is great. Actually, I'm aware that some of you may be going, thanks for nothing, Sherlock. I still don't know which type I am. Or maybe you're thinking that this is all so very general as to be totally unhelpful. Well, if you are thinking along these lines, then this may mean that you're starting to wonder if the Enneagram is helpful at all. So in this episode, I want to start talking about typing and mistyping and what that means and why it means that more or less. And in the process, I'm going to get to looking at some of uh, what causes people to confuse one type with another or to place themselves in the wrong box. And I'm going to look at some common type confusions in the process too. Allow me then to state uh, the very obvious. You are a complex, multifaceted human being and there's just no way that any personality typing system will capture the essence of what you're about. Um, if you've worked with personality typing systems of any other kind, perhaps the, the Myers-Briggs type um, as, a, as a more sort of commonplace one, you're going to be aware of the fact that misfires are common. And the misfires are often owed to the simple fact that we don't know who we are, although there are other things uh, that cause these misfires or mistypings, so, um, which I'm going to get to in a bit. This idea of, of not knowing who we are is captured so beautifully by G.K. Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy. Uh, by the way, I have written a book about Chesterton called Seeing Things As They Are, as some of you already know, and one way that you can support me and this podcast is to go and, and get it. Although the point is obviously not just getting it, but actually reading it, because I think there's some stuff in there that I really wanted to share with the world, or at least with those who are interested. Uh, so yeah, anyway, thanks for, for allowing me that aside. Totally shameless self-promotion, that is. Anyway, so in Orthodoxy, Chesterton writes this, so I love it. Uh, Every man has forgotten who he is. One may understand the cosmos, but never the ego. The self is more distant than any star. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, but thou shalt not know yourself or not know thyself. We are all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten our names. We have all forgotten what we really are. All that we call common sense and rationality and practicality and positivism only means that for certain dead levels of our life we forget that we have forgotten. All that we call spirit and art and ecstasy only means that for one awful moment we remember that we forget. And so Chesterton, when he talks about these moments of spirit and art and ecstasy and, and this, the fact that we just recognize for the first time who we are, well, that's what, what living is about. It's, it's knowing yourself and knowing the sort of infinite within the finite. And that's actually part of the point, I hope, of the Enneagram. At least that's how I think we should be using it. What does happen is that we get so easily caught up in our contexts, our families, our workplaces, and so on, that this forgetfulness that Chesterton writes about, it occurs quite easily. 
Um, I've checked out my own Myers-Briggs type several times, and on in one context, one specific work context, I was asked to do the the well to fill out the test, and I discovered to my horror that my decision-making preference had changed from feeling to thinking. Now, if you know anything about the Myers-Briggs typing indicator, you'll know that 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 shift there's a problem there. It's you are one type, just as you are in the Enneagram, and a mistake there must be to do with the test itself or some other factor. Anyway, it turned out when I filled in this Myers-Briggs type indicator um, test wrong, I suppose, it turned out that it was the time and the situation that I was in and the way that I was forced into adapting to that specific situation that caused me to lose touch with my authentic, I guess, um, sense of self. The first time I looked into the Enneagram, in fact, I thought that it was most natural to type myself as a type 4, when on much more careful reflection and examination, the truth turned out to be much more sinister and five-ish. I point this out simply to say, mistyping is totally normal, and chances are the first time you, you actually read your type, you you might get it wrong, and that's okay. Um, but what I think this has to do with is more self-perception um, and self-understanding, or at least understanding of the context you, you're in, than to do with than it has to do with the typing system itself. Of course, each typology system works in generalizations, but the generalizations are nevertheless incredibly useful for allowing us insights into our patterns of living and being. As my examples here show, context really is vital. People going through huge stress or trauma, for instance, are likely to find it easy to type themselves as functioning either at their point of stress or disintegration, or at one of their wings. One way to look at typing, then, is to ask which context or context we are most at ease ease in. What would you most naturally do if there were no pressure on you? Or maybe figuring out what you would do when you are under pressure can give you some clues too. So context is the first thing. How you relate to your context in terms of human relationships and your roles and your responses to expectations. Um, expectations. What the? That's experiences and expectations. Anyway, uh, I guess that's what happens when the two are combined. Well, uh, yeah. How how you relate to all of these things, your your environment, all of this is going to affect your self perception. Which, by the way, is the second important thing about typing: self understanding. I've already talked a bit about this, but let's let's run with it. Key to engaging with the Enneagram is the issue of really knowing yourself. This means thinking very carefully about what resonates most and what resonates least. By the way, what resonates least may turn out to be a clue into the soul child that you may be repressing, in which case think about what that can tell you about where you fit in the Enneagram figure. We all contain within ourselves the seeds to the realness of reality, the total picture, which means that when it comes to the truths of the Enneagram, we are multiple and not just singular, which I guess is part of the point of the Enneagram. It's not to to treat us as one-dimensional beings. As a five, for example, there's there's some one-ishness and some two-ishness and some three-ishness, etc., that I can really relate to. 
But five, that five-ishness, remains the gravitational center of my personality pattern. At my most integrated, I'm able to access more of the strengths of the other numbers, but the central axis of this axis remains my five-ishness. By the way, the Enneagram figure itself um, shows that we can move around the Enneagram when we are working towards uh, self-development and towards transcendence. There is a kind of a way that you would you move with around the circle, for instance. If I want to access that three-ishness, that sort of achievement side, I as a five need to move through point four. Um, but then I can also access uh, different a- aspects of the Enneagram energies, I suppose, through following the patterns indicated by the line. So if I need to go to point two, the quickest way is to go via point eight. So you need to kind of understand what's happening in all of that. Um, And basically what I want to get to around what I've just mentioned here is that um, there are two points which I think are really important. The first is that you can't really properly type yourself without having a fair grip on the whole Enneagram system, which is more complex than what I've begun to hint at. Um, I've stressed the dynamism of the Enneagram for this very reason. I don't think you can properly understand your two-ishness, for instance, if you are a two, if you haven't properly understood how it connects to points eight and four and the wings, points one and three. I also wonder what the point of the Enneagram would be if you can't locate yourself within the total scheme of things. But then maybe that's just a bias that I carry around with me because of how I function. The complexity of the Enneagram system goes into things like subtypes and instinct types. So this is something else that you could maybe look at on your own. For instance, there are so-called social self-preservation and sexual subtypes. These are variations on on how we respond to different instincts. These are sometimes abbreviated. um, So social becomes SO and self-preservation becomes SP and SX. Uh, is the abbreviation for for the sexual subtypes. And each of these is going to cause each enneotype to manifest slightly differently. This is something that Beatrice Chestnut, I hope I'm remembering that name right, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Beatrice Chestnut writes about the complex enneagram, so you can look for that book and there she basically points out that there are not just nine types, enneotypes, there are actually 27. Uh, which for for those of you who hate being boxed in, well, maybe that's a way to go. Although some of you will feel like there's a smaller box if you are um, one of, you know, if you focus on one of these variations. So yes, I'm not going to cover this stuff in any depth. So just keep it in mind. Um, and in any case, most Enneagram books that I've read cover this aspect of the Enneagram in some way. Uh, A second idea that arises from what I've just um, said is that the more integrated someone is, the more at harmony with themselves and the world they are, the more difficult it actually becomes to type them. Although part of this mistyping may be owed to the fact that others are always somewhat distorted through our perceptions. That said, I'm not keen at all to use the Enneagram simply as a way to type others. I hope I've made that fairly clear in what I've said already. Except, of course, when it genuinely helps me to see where they're coming from and how to better accommodate 
them in their own style of being. The Enneagram is about, as I've already said, uh, um, self-understanding and self-awareness. Going around telling people that they are threes or sevens or whatevers is just not helpful. The Enneagram, as I see it, shouldn't be about creating these boxes, but about understanding how to transcend the boxes. And hopefully uh, by now you'll see it a bit in that way too. So to put all of what I've just said into a simple statement, the idea is that we should err on the side of caution when it comes to typing, both when we type ourselves and when we try to type others. There needs to be a kind of freedom available to people with regard to what they do with the Enneagram's information. We don't have to force anyone into anything, right? That said, it is clear that some confusion exists about some types, and it is a good idea, I think, to unpack some of this. It might give you some insights into a few of the things you can look for when you are typing. When it comes to typing, the first thing to figure out is which so-called corner is dominant. It's it's kind of funny that the Enneagram has corners because it's a circle, but... um, Yeah, the corners are the gut, the head, and the heart corners that I spoke about in the previous three episodes. This can get tricky in itself, but it's the first thing that needs discerning. Remember, this is about how people lean, which way they lean, rather than just being an issue of what is absent. Head types, for instance, are not instinctless or heartless. They just happen to lean more towards headiness. When you've established the corner, Uh, Then you can move into the details. How, for instance, is headiness or instinct or heart manifested? How does each person respond to life, the universe and everything? And then with this in mind, maybe some of the common confusions between types uh, can be looked at. So let's start with a very common confusion, and that is between type 9s and type 5s. Both, of course, have a tendency to fade a bit into the background. But nines and fives differ primarily in their level of alertness. Nines have a kind of sleepy quality to them, whereas fives, even very boring fives, tend towards alertness. They tend to be always scanning the room and and observing. Nines also feel that they don't deserve attention, whereas fives really generally don't want attention. Fives want fame, for instance, about as much as a psychopathic killer wants peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And then nines may also be quite easily confused with type twos because both display self-abnegation, which sounds kind of (laughs) odd. They display self-abnegation. Anyway, the thing is twos really want acknowledgement and help and they want their needs to be met. Nines, on the contrary, really don't know what to do with acknowledgement. They even get a bit flustered when acknowledgement comes their way. Nines don't generally seem to think of themselves as special, which is not really that true of twos. Even in unhealthy, anxious states, twos do tend to have a pretty decent sense of their own specialness. Um, they, they're always wrestling with that. That's, that's true, but uh, they're going to think that they're more special than nines do. This is why twos tend to bother so much to look out for others. They really feel that they can do this. It's also why twos feel so utterly crushed when the facade is removed and their pride is shown unmasked. 
It's also possible for type 1s to get confused with a few other types. 1s and 5s get confused because they're both heady types in some ways. Although I've said this already, 1s tend to be heady in a very gutsy sort of way. And 1s are also prone to failing to see a problem from more than one angle. 5s also may look very 1-ish in some ways, um, by the way, especially when they start to integrate towards their hard point, their 8. Uh, because their tendency towards perspectivism and multidimensionality gives way to a kind of discernment that causes them to be more concerned with drawing lines in the sand than they were perhaps um, before they were starting to integrate. Fives are also generally more introverted than ones. Um, then, yeah, um, ones can also get confused with type fours because both of them lean towards a kind of criticality and judgmentalness. Both, in other words, give in to trying to control things and people instead of striving for good. The main difference is that while ones are identified with their superegos, fours are really oppressed by theirs. So maybe we're dealing with a kind of degree of oppression by superego. Ones will certainly feel that, of course, but, but, but fours feel it much more immensely. Um, and obviously, the different relationships. Fours obviously have a more intense relationship with their emotions than ones seem to. Ones will tend to feel justified, by the way, um, by their self righteousness, but fours will feel ashamed when they don't live up to their own standards. Fours, of course, also integrate towards one oneishness, and ones disintegrate towards fourishness. So the link between fourishness and oneishness is always going to be pretty strong. Ones and sixes also get confused. Both have a desire to fit in with some kind of authority structure. Both can be fairly anxious and both see duty as being pretty important. But ones will side more with the superego than sixes will. Sixes are also more ambivalent about the demands of the big other, the, the authority structures and the structures of law. And sixes also tend to be more fearful of putting a foot wrong. In, in other words, sixes are more subservient and they're more indecisive than type ones. A major difference between ones and sixes is in motivation. Sixes are more motivated by a fear of deviance, whereas ones are more concerned about missing the mark. Um, while we're on sixes, it's maybe worth mentioning just again that's um, counterphobic sixes. Those are the ones who display a much more uh, strong stance against the big other. They more they are often mistyped as type eights because of this kind of aggression that they display. But the confusion there is easily solved when you pay attention to whether the the aggression stems from fear or anger. So that's where the, the different center that they're working for becomes really important. It's also pretty common for twos and fours to be confused because they share an emotional intensity, a tendency to compete, a trend towards drama, envy, and being a bit preoccupied with relationships. They both share a strong connection with feelings of shame as well, obviously, but twos will tend to seek relationships more than fours will. Fours, though the wanting relationship, will sometimes fairly actively withdraw uh, for various reasons, of course, which, which every four needs to grapple with on their own. And most obviously, twos tend to seem less self-serving and self-focused than fours do. 
And then very, very lastly, um, I think a very common confusion is between type 3s and type 7s. They're confused quite easily because both tends, tend towards extroversion and having a fairly high energy. There's a kind of buoyancy to both types as well as a kind of positivity. But sevens tend to focus on multiple things, jumping and skipping from one thing to the next, whatever's interesting in their, um, as they get caught up in ego planning. Um, whereas threes will tend to be fairly hedgehoggish in the um, terminology that Isaiah Berlin uses. They, they focus on one thing, type threes do, and doing that as well as possible and achieving and succeeding in that one thing. And for this reason, threes are more practical than sevens. Um, they're more focused on the actual outcomes of any process than on the process itself. Sevens are much, much more idealistic than threes. And so when you start paying to these sorts of details, these little minor differences, you can start to play around with why that person who displays, for instance, one-ishness so well and so strongly is in fact not a one, but is a six, for for example. So so just look at those sorts of things. Um, and if you get more into the Enneagram as a system, you get better at typing, basically. So there you have it. There are other type confusions that may occur, of course, depending on what I mentioned above, uh, context, perceptions, self-insights, etc., and the point of clearing up the confusion is the same as the point of engaging with the Enneagram at all. It's to know that our over-identification with personality needs to be understood. And the reason it needs to be understood is that it's only then that it can be transcended, really. Although, I suppose, in some sense, you, transcendence doesn't depend on the Enneagram, of course. Um, it depends on working through your own stuff, uh, and figuring out a way forward. Of course, I'm well aware that all of this may still be a little too vague for you, but even the process of engaging and asking questions and using the language given to us by the Enneagram can be so useful. And for this reason, I really would highly recommend taking time to speak with your partner or a friend, a close friend or someone in your family, brother, sister, parent, about how the labels given to us by the Enneagram might help to foster self-insight um, and, and insight into each other. It's really great. I can guarantee you that when you read or hear the descriptions of your Enneotype and your partner or friend or whoever um, you're close to says, well, that that thing isn't quite true of you. That's that's such a great thing when, when they say that because you can you can start to discern the ways in which you have grown or the ways in which you have adopted some aspect of your wing, um, which I'll get to in the next episode. And of course, it's also great when you think that something isn't true of you and your partner, for instance, says, with hopefully a bit of laughter and, and jubilance. Ha, they nailed it. Well, that is all part of the work we need to do to better understand ourselves and the world we live in. Cheers for now, everyone. Look after yourselves.